Welcome to the season finale of Mistakes Were Made, a podcast about non-monogamy for messy people like us. I'm Sarah, a queer therapist, writer, and journalist. And I'm her husband, Alex, a communications professional and educator. We've done 10 episodes this season, and we're going to go into a quick summer break here. But before we do, we wanted to do one final episode for season one where we kind of try to bring it all together and reflect on what we've learned so far. Yeah, I'm like, what is this? I feel like there's some like summer camp version of this, like the campfire oh, yeah. at the end of summer the camp. The share out, yeah. Wherever you co- yeah, where you do the share uh-huh. out and everyone's yeah. like, I will remember you. And will everyone's you? like, when I first met you, I thought you were such a jerk. <laughs> And now we're best friends. I feel like it's not just that we came to the end of our first season of this podcast. And so it's like, what were we doing here? What have we learned? What's going on? Why did we do this? Are we doing it again? Uh, But also, you and I have been talking a lot about how this is like the second anniversary of Mm -hmm. us becoming non-monogamous. And I feel like the kind of experimentation phase, the whoa, this is like a wild and crazy thing that we're doing. Mm-hmm. Feelings have ebbed. And it's more like, oh, maybe this is like the way we're going to be living for a while. And that feels different. Like integrating it into our life in that way feels a little different. I agree. I also feel like famous last words to be like, oh, we pretty much have it figured out now. So it's all going to be smooth sailing from here. We've moved out of the figuring it out phase. Well, and if there's that. one thing I've learned, it's that it's not going to be smooth sailing. Yeah, okay. That's a good conclusion. That's true. Uh, I know. And I was like, I think you could probably put together a montage of me saying at six months, I feel like we've moved out of the experimentation mm-hmm, phase mm-hmm. and at a year, I feel like we've yeah. moved out of the experimentation So what if we reframe and say the podcast itself was kind of like a project where we started not knowing exactly, mm-hmm. you know, how we were approaching it, who the audience was, what we were trying to do. And we've sort of figured that out over the course of these 10 episodes. And so this is a good uh, transition point to... um you know, take a break and uh, also reflect a little bit on like uh, what we figured out that we're doing with the podcast right. and uh, what's coming next. Yes, that's and wrapping all that stuff up. Good scoping. Yeah, uh, that's and I think one of the things that we've been talking about is that our listeners and our audience is often and it makes sense couples who were previously in long term monogamous relationships who are thinking about opening up who are opening up or who maybe are just interested in having more non-traditional ways of having a relationship or relating to each other. That seems to be like, you know, who we're often talking to. And that makes sense because that's who we are. Yeah, definitely. And I think that is, I guess, sometimes when you're sort of inside of a thing, then you don't realize how much, uh, how sort of referential to your specific experience it is so we've been talking a lot about you know it being a podcast for for non-monogamous people but there are a lot of different types of non-monogamous people and we are like kind of one subset and what we have to say probably uh is more applicable to um even some people who aren't non-monogamous than certain types of non-monogamous people who are very different from us um and those people are sometimes like yeah what the fuck are you talking about and that's nothing like my experience so, so now we know. Yeah, and I think in that sense, like, anytime you're doing, uh, like, using your life as material for media, there are ways in which you hope that there will be, like, universal themes explored and ways in which you find out about how specific uh, your own experience is. So I think that's, that's part of what we're figuring out now. Um, but in that spirit, we reached out to other couples who had been in monogamous relationships and opened up and asked them a few questions about what their experience had been like. And we thought we would bring that to today's episode and do a little bit of discussing that. What do you think? Yeah, uh, I think it was a great idea. Glad I thought of it. No, just kidding. Did I? I don't know. So one of the first things I learned, because I was tasked with reaching out to people to see if we could uh, get source some of this material. One of the first things I learned was lots of people were like, no, thanks. No. Yeah. (laughs) A lot of people were like, no, that's what you do. Uh You're the one that like does big deep dive reflections on what this has been like and then puts it into media. And I was like, all right. What do you think that's about? Is it just that we like 
hearing ourselves talk more than other people. Or, For sure. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> For sure. That's uh-huh. part of it. Um, I think, you know, it was interesting. You and I have made media together for, in some way, shape, or form, for like 15 years. Um, And throughout that time, pretty early on, I started using my own personal experiences as material for the media that we made. Yeah. And so I think, you know, I think the first time I wrote something that got kind of wide distribution that was about my own personal experience, I was in my mid-late 20s. Right. Um, Yeah. So I think I'm really used to that idea Mm -hmm. that like part of how I explore and process is by turning it into media that might be valuable or interesting or useful to other people. Mm -hmm. And it was a little bit of a reality check when people were like, no, that's good for you, not for me. (laughs) Yeah. Well, then other people didn't want to do that, do that. But audiences definitely like it. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And and I certainly have spent a lot of time trying to do this, too, like sort of positioning yourself as like some sort of objective observer uh, is a lot less vulnerable, a lot easier and a lot uh, less interesting than kind of you know, digging into what's actually happening, what you're thinking, feeling, and doing, and bleeding on the page. If you will. Or bleeding on the microphone. The microphone? I don't yeah. Know. Yeah. Spitting on the microphone. <laughs> I do that, that no matter yeah. what. Um, yeah. So before we do that, we, we have a, we got some, we did get some responses in spite of some people's hesitations. Um, and uh, there, I think that some of them are very interesting and we want to share them and then kind of reflect on them a little bit. But before we do that, I want to go off script a little bit. And what? Just, you like, hate going off script. Yeah, I know. But I'm going to, I might regret it. Um, but it is interesting to think about if we're at like our two year anniversary, just like putting ourselves back in that place of like where we were two years ago, you know, thinking about taking this big step to opening our marriage. I mean, I guess kind of what we're doing today is like, if you could turn back time. If, if I could you, find a way. Yeah. What would you? What would you kind of tell yourself or how would you how would you view yourself uh, your two years ago self going into this? You know, I mentioned pandemic time and I just feel like for me, the context of that moment is so important. Like the fact that we we were like at that point, six months into the pandemic and just kind of unprecedented experience in that way. Um, we were in the middle of, you know, um, political uprisings, living half a mile away from like an autonomous zone, half occupied police station um, and involved in some of those protests. And I was covering some of them. Um, There were things happening in our community where like marriages were ending. There were medical emergencies. Like it really felt like this incredibly tumultuous agitated time Mm -hmm. and the reason why that feels important to me to say is because i think throwing something else on the pile that sounded kind of wild i think i was more open to it because of that Mm -hmm. i think if it had been at another time where things felt relatively stable and we were like why don't we do this wild thing that the entry point would have been more difficult for me Mm -hmm. so i think i kind of walked into it like well, here's another fucking crazy ass thing that's going to happen mm-hmm. without really stopping to think about how challenging and exciting and wild it was going to be. Yeah. You know, I think I had kind of my calibration was a little off. Yeah. I think there's a way that when everything kind of feels like it's falling apart around you, you feel sort of more liberated to do yeah. almost anything. Yeah. For better or for worse. For sure. Yeah. Um, and I guess now that, uh, you know, the pandemic is sort of ending and things are getting back to normal, we're also starting to feel some of the realities of being non-monogamous that we were sort of insulated from yeah, that's true. during that time as well, because there is just more to do. There's more opportunities for like different parts of your life, life to overlap. Um, People to like meet each other, mm-hmm. you know. And, and like you're like prioritizing, you know, the, your time. There's more to do with your time. Yeah. So like the decision to, you know, be dating somebody else or other people or whatever is, uh, you know, there's actually other things you could be doing with that time, um, you know, other than binge watching TV shows or whatever. Yeah, it's true. It uh, it does feel different. And it feels like you also have to be more public with it. I mean, that's the other thing is like it can't really happen cloistered away in quite the yeah. same way. Um, and so I'm I'm sort of aware of that, too. I was just as an anecdote about this. Also off script, I was hanging out with a bunch of friends, with the kids, at the lake, over the heat wave. Someone asked me about a relationship that has recently ended, and our oldest was like, you broke up? And I had to 
say, well, yeah, we did. And then he proceeded to tell me about how he actually was also going through a breakup, which was really sweet. <laughs> yeah. And he was like, do you think you'll be friends? And I was like, I hope so. And I was like, do you think you'll be friends with the person that you broke up with? And he was like, absolutely not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that that was interesting when you told me that this morning, because it's, it's it is like kind of one of the the culminations of we had an episode where we talked about, you know, parenting while polyamorous and like uh that that seems like one of the things that i don't know if it came up in the episode but like the idea that you would like build these relationships with people and then mm -hmm. those people would maybe disappear from your your children's lives when yeah. they've been involved um not that i think that's gonna necessarily happen in this case but like um you know those are like the maybe some of the actual perils that are there um yeah. although i got lots of excuses for why that, that's the thing that happens in uh, you know, friendships and other other relationships you might have that would influence your kids, kids' lives too. Yeah, it's complicated. I mean, I I use this as an ex, uh, an example because it to me showed how all of this is more public and all of these worlds are more kind of collided now than they were two years ago. Yeah, and the idea that I could do something that my kids wouldn't know about or my community wouldn't know about or that like those things wouldn't overlap or someone wouldn't ask me in front of other people. You know, all of that has changed considerably. Um, in recent months even. But I feel like in a way I'm kind of evading your question. Your question was, what do I think about that person I was two years ago or what might I tell her? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, we're going to get into some of the advice kind of pieces of this from other people and then from from us as well. So I don't know about uh, what you would tell her, but yeah. Well, I like I appreciate it. I think what I would tell her, and it kind of surprises me to say this, is you're safe to enjoy this a little bit i think maybe is what mm, i would tell mm -hmm. her and i couldn't have known that two years ago because i went through all of these things that kind of like showed that to me i'm safe yeah, yeah. in myself and in my relationships and in my community and in my choices and that doesn't mean i'm going to do everything right or things will not be hard but that like broadly i am safe to explore this and mm -hmm. enjoy it a little bit and i think i i i didn't really know that at the time and i kind of um dove into it as an experiment at a wild time um and pretty immediately was like this is scary and i don't know but we're in it now and we got to find right. our way through and i wish i could have told her like it's gonna be okay yeah and you can enjoy it a little bit yeah that's interesting it's also interesting to think about i guess maybe what was what was driving me to that question is like uh when you're starting to do something, it's all exciting and yeah. interesting and the novelty will wear off and yeah. then you'll still, uh, you know, either want to still be doing it or not. But like, it's a very different experience than, you know, now, two years later than it was initially yeah. mm -hmm. doing a bunch of stuff that, you know, we hadn't done as a, having been a monogamous, monogamous couple for 15 years or something. It's like pretty, pretty big change. Huge. And so what about you? If I turn that back on you, what is something that you would tell yourself if, if you could go back and say something to yourself two years ago? Yeah, I think uh, I would say you don't know what you're doing <laughs> or what you're in for, and that's okay. Um, you know, uh, it's I, I think I have a tendency to try to, like, kind of be good at everything and do everything right out the gate mm -hmm. um, and uh, feel uncomfortable if I don't uh, feel uncomfortable with the mistakes I make. Ding. Hey. Uh, but, um, you know, you're, you're supposed to do that and it's okay to, to do that. And, um, you know, so it's like positioning yourself at the beginning of something like that with a lot of like confidence and enthusiasm, but also unawareness that it's going to be like, a rocky road and that doesn't reflect on uh poorly on you that's actually a good thing yeah yeah interesting Something like that yeah. I like it good question thank you uh yeah so let's get into some of our uh responses from um the folks we reached out to uh so we had like three prompts um one was uh a mistake that um folks had made um one was uh agreements that couples had made um that they felt like worked really well for them so you know sort of like boundaries or negotiations or you know things that they'd come up with for this is these are kind of like the constraints or the agreements around how we're going to do non-monogamy and then lastly pieces of advice for uh couples who are going into non-monogamy do i have that right that's right yeah okay. 
Do you want to read the first one? Okay, so first response to the question, what was a mistake you made? And here's the response we got. I'll read it verbatim. Having your point of entry to non-monogamy be swinging and assuming that you'll never be polyamorous so that if that happens and people do want to date separately, it feels like a really big rupture. Okay, so to like kind of pick through that, like a lot of people's entry point to non-monogamy or the first thing that they do is like... As a couple. As a couple. Yeah, it's like swinging together as a couple. So, um, you know, having sex with another couple. Right. Uh, either Dating or, or having sex with another couple. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're saying that like the assumption that it's going to stop there. And I think you see this a lot like on the, the more like poly-friendly apps. There's a lot of couples who are on there and like, this is all we're doing. We're always going to be like in the same room or like things that are sort of like keeping that couple together and assuming that like they're always going to be some area of distance between the them and the other people that they're um, not physical distance but emotional distance between them and the other people that they're interacting with that they're dating yeah and i definitely see this come up among clients too that that can be a common first point of entry for a couple that's been non-monogamous is that you'll do some sort of swinging or uh like group dating or you know dating together And then people develop feelings or grow more comfortable with the idea of non-monogamy and are interested in dating separately or individually um, or not together. And I don't want this to sound like a judgment uh, because it's not, but uh, it's more of a testament to how there's no like right way to approach this. Absolutely not, yeah. That sounds completely emotionally insane to me. Like, that's the furthest thing, the last thing that I would do rather than the first thing that I would do. Like, I feel like it's much easier to establish, like, independent relationships with somebody else mm-hmm. um, and, and have you do the same thing than for us to, like, go into something together, uh, especially, like, just, like, moving directly into a sexual situation with other people. And I know that there's, like, a lot of people follow that path. There are a lot of couples who, like, have done that in various ways. Like, oh, we had a threesome years ago and... um. I don't know, like, really what the difference is there for me, but it's just to say, like, people have a lot of different entry points. Yeah, I like that. I I like that reminder that there isn't a right way of doing this and there isn't a wrong way. There's the place where you start, right? And everybody's going to start somewhere. And that starting point is going to change. And I think that's kind of my response to this. I appreciated this mistake. Um, It reminded me of the episode that we did about falling in love. And assumptions that we made about what would and wouldn't happen or what we would or wouldn't ever be interested in. Uh, and so I think like that's that's what I'm thinking about here is just like you got to start somewhere and that somewhere is going to change. Mm-hmm. OK, what about you want to read the next mistake for us? Yeah. Uh, so the mistake uh, that this person said they made was assuming that others were operating from the same emotional space as we were essentially experiencing a mismatch of comfort comfort around emotional vulnerability and connection and this feeling unexpected. We are so used to the way that we operate with one another that we didn't have good awareness that others might not have the same willingness to engage emotionally as we did. So what do you get out of that? Yeah, this again, uh, what I know about this response is it also comes from a couple who dates together. Um, And I think it speaks to a larger theme, which is how challenging it can be to communicate what your expectations are inside relationships, inside multiple relationships with multiple people, and keep communicating that Mm -hmm. Uh, because you're going to be out of sync. I mean, what I hear in this is just like, yeah, people have really different varying levels of comfort around emotional vulnerability, uh, physical intimacy, and the chances that you're just going to be aligned every step of the way are literally zero. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So kind of back to what I was saying a minute ago, like everything's going to be everyone's going to be like approaching these things differently and arriving, you know, starting from a, a different point. So and and again, I think this is like why uh, dating as a couple and we, we kind of did an episode talking about one form of that. There are kind of many forms, but when there's three people or four people involved um, in a sort of multidimensional relationship, it's even more complicated. And like there's, you know, how many permutations of the different like one-to-one interactions that are gonna you know potentially be potential for people to be out of sync potential for for fun and connection but also you know potential for uh getting out of sync as well right you're just like compounding 
all of those things, like the possibility for connection and the possibility for miscommunications. Yeah. And so I guess the assumption, um, there's an old adage about assuming, <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, the making, you know, making the assumption that somebody is on the same page as you, I, I guess this is just like a, a reinforcement of the idea of like open communication and like talking up front about like what you're looking for, which of course you have to know that to, to be able to, to communicate it. Um, I think this is where like the two mistakes that people have talked about so far, you're going to hear like the same theme emerging again and again, which is you have to talk about stuff all the time because stuff is always changing. Yeah. Right. So like you got to start somewhere and that will change and you yeah. have to talk constantly because things are always changing. Yeah. So just like having lots of communication um, and by lots, I mean way more than you think you need. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which I, I think is also interesting because, like, I think when a lot of people picture the sort of, like, fantasy of monogamy, <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of, like, spontaneity involved. And, like, um, I do, it, it does make me think about, like, probably the people who, of all the people who have, like, fantasized about it, the people who follow through with it more, like, you know, become, like, polyamorous as kind of, like, a lifestyle are, like, the more relationship nerds uh the kind of people who like the processing part as much as they like the connection and the sex part right so here's me going off script a little bit and uh pulling in a movie reference because mm. i know you love that yep um you and i over the weekend saw the new movie vengeance that came oh, yeah. out and among many other premises one of the setups is this idea of like hookup culture right and people who are just like going around having multiple casual hookups with six, seven, 12, right. 13 people at the, once. The right? joke is that the characters have so many different people's names in their phones uh, that they could potentially be hooking up with at any given time that they like, can't even keep track of who they are. Like right now I'm casually dating like six or seven different women, but I do wonder deep down what it would be like to seriously date two or three. So that sent you and I off on a tangent about how often this is a setup in a movie. Right. That this hookup culture is a setup. So. Bear with me, since we're talking about how our kind of like core audience and experience are people who have been in monogamous relationships, monogamous committed relationships, usually for a while, who are opening up for mm -hmm. the first time. I think there's a way that you imagine that that's what non-monogamy is going to be. Right. Yeah. And you're like. This must be what people who are not monogamous have been doing all along. Like, right. Just having like random hookups and yeah. lots of fun and casual encounters. Um, and I think we talked about this in a previous episode um, when we were talking about like wanting to recapture adolescence or maybe parts of your youth where you were monogamous and you like feel like you missed out on some sort of mm -hmm. crucial sexual developmental experiences. I think that that fantasy looms pretty large among this demographic yeah right yeah and that you're like i get to go back now i like i gotta have all the stuff i like got to get married and have the kids and like settle down and find a life partner and now i get to go back and have all of that casual hookup right. sex that i didn't that, get to have that before. you thought everybody was doing that you thought everybody was but doing. then it turns out it's more like what your actual adolescent like, right yep or maybe Explain. it's not like that, but it's, I just mean like, you know, that's not what it was like when I was like unencumbered right. as a like teenager or like early 20 something. It's not like I was like, you know, having all these hookups and stuff like that. Like, uh, that's, it, that is like a, a construction or a fantasy or, or if it's happening for you, like, you know, write us an email and we'll have you on the show and you can talk about. Right. But my experience so far has been that that kind of culture, the way it's often represented in like Hollywood or in popular culture where it's super casual and there's tons of partners and nobody's really talking about how it makes them feel or, yeah. you know, any expectations beyond just like the encounter that night. I think that does exist, but I think that it's far less common than people think. And I think folks who get into non-monogamy and polyamory uh, honestly are not, are often people who are going to have the opposite orientation, right. believe it or not. And, and maybe people who didn't experience that for some sort of explicit reason, such as like coming from a religious mm -hmm. background or something like that. And then again, they kind of like think, oh, everybody else has been doing this in, in this much more free way than what my like 
you know, youth experience was or my pre, pre-marriage, pre pre-long-term mm-hmm. relationship experience was. Um, and that's not necessarily the case. Right. So not as like a total conclusion, but it is interesting to just acknowledge like one of these cultural tropes that I think sometimes shows up for folks that haven't been dating or uh, out there like seeking partners in a really long time that they imagine they'll be stepping into. Yeah, yeah. This kind of like casual hookup situation. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the other thing is if that is happening, it's not necessarily happening. It's probably happening less for non-monogamous people than it is for single, you know unexamined monogamous people Hmm. if you know what i'm saying yeah maybe because of the intentionality and the framework of it like i think non-monogamous people tend to be entering into their relationships with a lot more like kind of like uh knowledge and like intention like oh what am i doing what do i want and in most cases it's not like just unattached sex Right. I guess I'm, if we're talking from the perspective of people who are already in a relationship with someone, right. you at least have to have enough self-awareness that you're able to communicate some of this and be accountable to one other person. Right. 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 Yeah. 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 All right. Well, yeah. Where, I'm like, where, where did we go? Where are, where are we? Where are what we? are we doing? Uh, yeah. That, so we're not, we've been talking about our mistakes kind of all season, I think. So um, we're off the hook. I think we're off the hook yes. for, for adding more mistakes, but, um, from our from our own perspective, uh, you can listen back to episodes one through ten. Yeah, see episodes <laughs> one through nine for deep dive examination of our mistakes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the the next set of responses were about agreements that people made uh, as a as a couple, an open couple that really worked for them. Do you want to read the first one? Yeah. Okay. Here's one. If one person is out on a date and the other invites a partner over to the house, the person on the date always gets to come back home at any time for any reason with notice they're never sexiled for the night and forced to find somewhere to stay home is sacred and safe space and we make sure that it's never off limits sexiled i like what you did there so good thank you another alternate podcast title yeah <laughs> I'm, not, I'm trying to imagine like what that podcast i don't even is. care i'm gonna Sex- listen to it welcome to sexiled with sarah studebaker um yeah. Okay. So uh, this, I think, this comes up a lot for for you know, this is like a, an agreement, a boundary that about like uh, protecting some kind of space. And like, I think for us, when we first started, we talked about a lot about like you know, bringing dates home, whether that was even okay. You know, being in the bed, the same bed with other people, um, and that has sort of continued to show up in different ways. Um, and. Uh, Maybe it speaks more largely to like how integrated other the your other partners are gonna be into your life. Yeah. I, I come back to this idea. I think that this is also complicated by having children. Mm, right. Mm-hmm. So there's always these questions about like where can you go? Right. How comfortable are you with like partners or kids knowing that people are over? Yeah. Okay. So, I guess know, we're a few steps down the road of context with this, right? Yeah. yeah. So the assumption is that uh, you know, you don't have always have some place to go. And so you're like using your house that is kind of your family's house as the place that you're like bringing your dates. Right. And this I, this is just like, I think, a cute logistical thing that shows up a lot for folks in these circumstances where I don't even know if I want to frame this as a mistake or just like it's hilarious where you think you're going to be able to perfectly line stuff up. You're like, OK, you'll have a date over for this night. And they'll come over at exactly this time and the children will be asleep, mm-hmm. right? And you'll have a great time. And I will simultaneously be on a different date with someone else at their place that starts at this time. And I will be having a great time. Uh-huh. And then the, you know, the kids will wake up and the date will be gone. Or maybe you've decided that it's okay for the date to be there or whatever. And then we'll come back together and yay, we did it. Yeah. Like the non-monogamy family Olympics, uh-huh. right? Of logistics. <laughs> And inevitably, it doesn't go like that. Well, and even if it does, it's like that's all very stressful to try to manage, right? right? And I think, like, you know, you end up with some situation that, that I think this is probably coming out of, the, of, like, you know, somebody's plans change and you those carefully balanced on the head of a pin logistics, like, kind of fall apart. Yeah. And then it maybe means, oh, now you want to come back, but I have my other partner over here, uh, so find something else to do. Right. right? And that... 
that's not going to feel good. No. Yeah. So you need an agreement that says. And it wouldn't feel good to be the partner who's over at someone's house planning on a sleepover being told that they got to go. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So what do you do in a situation where it's not going to feel good? Like you had a perfect plan. The plan has failed. And now people are going to be disappointed. Their feelings are going to be hurt no matter what you do. Yeah. I guess you just like buy a second apartment you know you just need a pied de terre that's it that's how the french do it it's a pied de terre yeah okay excellent pronunciation first of all (laughs) in the 19th arrondissement (laughs) um yeah so i think like the kind of emotional theme here that is really interesting and resonant for me is just that that like non-monogamy is aspirational Mm -hmm. like both in a kind of idealistic way and also often in a logistical way Uh and most of the time it doesn't live up to those aspirations. Yeah. And I want to dig into one other thing here, which is just like the level of comfort that is sort of expected or that you expect of yourself. Because like in theory, if we're these like enlightened non-monogamous people, then it's like, it's fine. Like it, I don't have any feelings if I just come home and like you're sleeping with your girlfriend in the other room. No like, big deal. No big deal. Like I'll just sleep on the floor of the yeah, kids room or whatever. You guys like, just stay in there and have a good know, time. Exactly. Or whatever. Yeah. Uh, I'll just crawl into bed with you. It'll be totally fine. And that's not really like how it feels. And that's okay. Right. Like maybe you arrive there. Some people, you know, kind of even maybe start there. And, um, you know, they're, they're different. Like we've been saying, like there are different ways to feel, but it's totally okay if there are things that make you uncomfortable that you don't want to do. Like you don't want your partner to be sleeping with somebody else in the same bed that you know, having sex with somebody else in the same bed that you sleep in and have sex in. Like, or you don't want those people in your house or, you know, whatever. Like, those are all things that can decide. That you can decide. But yeah. I think the key here is that you have to be able to locate those and communicate them to other partners. Right. So I think, like, yeah, what we'll be coming back to a lot here is, like, you can come up with any sorts of boundaries that feel right for you yeah. and for the partners you're with. And you have to have enough self-awareness to be able to communicate to those partners, like, we're kind of balancing this whole thing on the head of a pin. If it doesn't work out, though, like, with kids, things to tend to fall apart, and we might have to change plans at the last minute. So mm-hmm. I just want to warn you that happens a lot. Or something. Um, yeah. I, I come back to this idea of, like, wanting to be generous, wanting to be expansive, wanting to be inclusive, and also having boundaries, being able to communicate them, and being, like, sensitive to yourself and others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that's actually a pretty good segue into the next one, which I will read um, the the agreement. Uh, one agreement that really worked for us was prioritizing our relationship, a.k.a. the main goal being strengthening of our connection. This worked for us because of the quad dating dynamic and would obviously look different if we were dating independently. So these are people dating as two couples dating each other. Um, and they're saying, you know, reminding themselves that the agreement is that we're doing this to prioritize and strengthen our relationship that we were starting from. So there's a lot there. Yeah, there's a lot there. I have to admit, when this response came in, I was like, let's not put this one in. Mm. How come? Because talking about couples' privilege makes me uncomfortable. Uh Uh-huh. How come? Because it's super unfashionable. Like, the idea of couples' privilege inside non-monogamy. You mean the idea of indulging it? Indulging it, that, like, you have an existing couple, that's the primary relationship, it's the prioritized relationship, and it's going to kind of take precedent over other relationships. Mm-hmm. And this is where I, I'm really torn about this, and so I just want to acknowledge, like, this is controversial stuff, and I, I see why. Mm-hmm. Because on one hand, um, I think aspirationally, the idea is that, like, everyone can feel prioritized. Every relationship can feel valued. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's not some, you know, you hear about, like, veto power or the idea that, like, a primary relationship is in trouble. And so everybody, like, closes off the other relationships. And that, like, is really unkind and hurtful and doesn't honor the connections that people have made. Um, and functionally, I think often for folks who have been monogamous, our long-term couples are opening up for the first time, you know, like us have a lot of financial co-parenting community connections, um, like sort of lived connections every day. The reality is that is going to be the primary relationship Mm -hmm. and it's 
it's going to function that way inside a larger sort of constellation of relationships. Yeah. And it can feel like there's a lot at stake. You know, you have a, a new relationship or new relationships that uh, are new and, you know, sort of by definition, it's all potential, but there's not an, as much at stake or that could potentially be harmed there than, you know, with a, a long-standing, long-term relationship that has economic entanglements and, you know, family entanglements and, and all sorts of things like that. Yeah. And I often find with my clients, it's interesting because I have been personally on both sides of this. So I've had the experience of being in a couple that is a primary relationship that's like prioritized, right? Yeah. I've also had the experience of having a partner who found a primary partner and that changed the dynamics of our relationship and ultimately de-escalated it, right? Uh-huh. As a therapist, I have clients who have been hurt by the experience of being in a relationship with someone who has a primary right. and feeling like they're not prioritized. And I have the experience of having clients who are couples who really want and need to feel like their relationship is prioritized as they're in moving into non-monogamy or are non-monogamous, but are afraid to say that mm -hmm. because they feel like it's maybe hurtful or um, not in the spirit of non-monogamy or not okay in some way because of the concept of couples privilege. So I like lay all of that out because I this just feel like, like a lot of different ways about it. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess it kind of comes back to relationships just aren't fair and monogamous ones aren't either. And like, you know, there's, there's like aspirations about values, uh, or, um, you know, that you can, you can try to have, but, um, that stuff's always going to be complicated and maybe it's less complicated when there's only two people involved. <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah. Actually. I mean, maybe complicated in a different way. Um, I think this comes back to this theme that's coming up here, which is it may be that this is what works best, right, for you, that this relationship is prioritized and that's kind of one of the North Stars of the way you're doing non-monogamy. And I think if that's the case, you really do have, it's totally fine. You're allowed to have any boundaries that you want to have. You're allowed to find what works for you and your partners. And I do think that you have an ethical obligation to communicate that. Yeah. And be honest with partners. yourself about what's yeah. actually going on, right? That's the worst thing that you can do is kind of be aspirationally uh, different than what you're actually coming out of alignment or what you, what you want right. to do and, or enter into non-monogamy, uh, out of sync with your primary partner or, you know, your long-term partner about it. Um, I do think that there's a lot of narratives around, you know, that are all based on feelings, uh, sort of pro or anti, like what you're voicing, um, but also critiques of couples privilege and, you know, saying this is E&M versus polyamory and those are two different things. And all of that ultimately, I think, kind of boils down to like identifiers that people use to signify who they are and what they are and what they're doing to other people. But they can really get into gatekeeping as well of, yeah. of saying like, oh, you're not doing it right. Right. Which is there is no there is right no or right. wrong. And that's why we left monogamy right, right. <laughs> because we didn't like the idea that there's a specific way that you have to do those things and all these unspoken right and wrong things that you could be doing yeah. right we're all free to do whatever the fuck we want as long as we uh are honest with ourselves about that and communicate with and each do our other best to it. communicate yeah. with each other about it i want to go to producer jessica part now i think i have a question for you okay i'm ready it's about couples privilege which again mm. is this kind of like sensitive topic um and that usually means it's worth exploring yeah mm -hmm. as someone who's monogamous and knows and is in like close relationships with people who are non-monogamous what are your first reactions to that idea mm. of couples privilege or what are your reflections on it well yeah I, it's really interesting i think couples privilege is like very real outside of the like monogamy non-monogamy context right and I feel it um it's like I can feel so many things that were like hard about my life before that are just gone right and that are so much easier because I am in a couple and married and like all of that that like just our society the, it seems like a lot of times the couple is thought of as like the basic social unit mm -hmm. I think I remember learning that in my college sociology class <laughs> um 
you know, and so that is the thing just mm -hmm. in the first place, right? Just being in a couple or whatever, you know, always have a date for things. And right. It's this that standard. You could play tennis doubles. Is that the right? right. Use of tennis the term doubles. doubles. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. Okay. That comes up a lot in my life. <laughs> but it's interesting, like to me, hearing that in a context of non monogamy, it makes me feel like good or safer about the idea in a way. Mm. You know? I mean, and maybe it's kind of like a mistake that has come up sometimes in many conversations, I think, in the podcast. Like, that getting started, couples will kind of think like, well, this is something we can do together, right? By starting out by dating a couple or swinging or whatever. Like, those are some examples. Um, but I think, I don't know. My observation also of your marriage over the, these past couple years has been that, like, non-monogamy is a way to strengthen your marriage, you mm -hmm. know? Which seem, might seem counterintuitive at first, but... Mm -hmm. I'm like fully on board with that idea. So I don't know. I mean, I don't know that I'm like as aware of all the like types of privilege in that world as I should be. Or certainly like I don't know very much about the solo poly experience. Um, but I find it like comforting. It's. Yeah. Interesting. You know. Thank you. I appreciate mm -hmm. that, Jess. Yeah, and I think that's what, you know, this person who submitted this is saying, like, that they explicitly said, this is about strengthening our connection, not about more. It's more about that than building uh, new connections with other people. And that's, um, and that's okay. Yeah, interesting. All right. So we're headed into advice territory. Mm -hmm. Do we feel ready? I think so. Yeah. Ready for some advice. Ready for some advice. This first piece of advice is actually, I think, really good. So, um Yeah. You want to read it then? Okay. If you're a couple with kids, be careful about having dates be the only time folks get time off and relaxation. That can result in your co-parenting being associated with struggle and stress and your other partners with fun and ease. Mm-hmm. Ah, that one really hits for me. Yeah, for sure. Like, it's so easy, you know, when you're, when you're parents, uh, you have a lot of time focused on parenting and i know that some parents are experiencing that as uh, a freeing joy every <laughs> second um but other parents <clears throat> are you know sometimes it's, it's harder it can feel uh monotonous or you know it's just like labor right mm -hmm. um so family family labor so if your only escape from family labor is dates with other people or work or work then that's going to be pulling you uh kind of emotionally away from your partner and you know maybe that means that i think what they're what they're saying here is that uh you need to make sure that you make a uh, nice free special time for you know your your co-parent part partnership relationship as well yeah i really appreciated this and i hadn't had someone exactly say it in, in such a succinct way mm -hmm. um and it gets me thinking also just about like the advice I would give myself two mm. years ago, which is think realistically about how much time and capacity you have for non-monogamy, because that time and capacity goes beyond the times that you're on dates with other people, right? Mm. Because through going on dates with other people, if you still want to have uh, times when you do like relaxing, romantic, fun things with your partner, right? You need to make time for that on top of dates with other people. And mm -hmm. then there's going to, you're going to need time for like processing that and having conversations about it, you know, and you start seeing how much time and space it can actually take yeah. up if you're doing it in a way that feels like sustainable and integrative and not like you're just outsourcing certain parts of your life mm -hmm. or like trying to hack your life in some, in some way with non-monogamy. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that like sort of also forces you to, to be in touch with what it is that is fun about it for you um, and, you know, how how much that's kind of like justified. And I guess as a, as a segue into this next piece of advice, how you can bring that, uh, some of that self-knowledge back to your um, primary partnership as well. Yeah, that's interesting and some of the fun too, even. So that is a good segue into this next piece of advice. Um, 
Well, and before I say that, because I think that there's maybe an easier assumption made that you'll go out and meet new people and learn new and exciting things from them and they'll learn new and exciting things from you. And then there's like that third piece of that, like coming back to other relationships and, mm, and mm -hmm. enriching them as well that we sometimes miss or don't see or don't attend to. Mm -hmm. um, and with that in mind, this piece of advice, when you experience some delight or pleasure or a dose of new relationship energy with a new partner, bring some of it back to your primary partner. For example, if you're enjoying a particularly flirty text exchange, channel some of those good feels into a flirty text to your primary partner. If you went somewhere new and fun on a date, consider taking your primary partner there another time. What do you think of that? Uh, I love it. It it lands for me as like being very uh, kind of like aspirational. Yeah. Because um, some of that stuff feels like pretty, pretty hard or like it's pretty like on the nose that like, this is the thing that I'm getting out of this other relationship and I'm going to like immediately hard pivot that back to my primary partnership. Like that's really cool uh, to be able to do that. And I think it's good advice in that sense. Um, but also like it's a it's a pretty tricky thing to to do. Like maybe that would feel I mean, we I guess, you know, for us, for instance, like I think one of the key points of jealousy is like us going and doing things with another partner that like sound fun that right? we really want to do we really want to like if you see me going and doing something on a date that you're like but i wanted to go to that restaurant or like you know i want to go to that movie or i want to do xyz thing i'm trying to think of some of the other like fun well I, the thing that has been just absolutely the hardest for me in this realm was going on small trips yeah uh-huh because before we had kids that was one of our favorite things to do together. Like right. we traveled together yeah. and we did it really well. And it was just a place that was so like fun and easy. And like we had such a great like culture of it together. And it was just like some of the best times of my life. Yeah. Then when we had kids, the option for you and I to go on small trips like that shrunk immediately because you mm -hmm. have to find childcare for your two kids to do it. Right. And when we became non-monogamous, there was this option to go on small trips with other people and the other person stay back with the kids. Mm -hmm. That one, I can honestly say if I'm just like the the thing that has just like been hardest for me, it's been that one. Mm -hmm. um, because it's a thing that is just much less available to us because of the way our lives are structured that's uh -huh. more available with other partners. And but it I'm feels a, like part of the identity of our relationship right. almost. So it's like a, a tiny betrayal to do it with somebody else in a way. It can feel that way. Yeah. Um, or it's just like that was a hard one. I feel like I've gotten I've gotten somewhere okay with it. Mm -hmm. I mean, this maybe is too much information, but you know, it gets back to this idea that we'll like different things. I feel like you like going on small trips with other partners a little bit more than I do. Mm. Um, it's not like I don't, but I'm just like it's not an automatic place that I go to with people. Um and so yeah. one just of just because of the comfort level or something. Yeah. Uh I think for me it's just something traveling with someone is like a really intimate, vulnerable right. experience for me. Yeah. And so, I mean, I have friends that I'm very close to that I would it took me like five years yeah. before I felt comfortable experimenting uh -huh. with traveling with them. And I think it's just a quirk of my personality. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's come up for me more around like there's definitely been a couple of times where like you saw a movie with somebody else that I really wanted to see. And then like, and then like, you'd be talking about the movie, like in conversation, like misremembering that we'd seen it together. <laughs> and then you'd be like, Oh, like in that movie. And I'd be like, Nope, <laughs> haven't was seen it. Not me. <laughs> Wasn't me. But yeah, that's like uh, it. That can be pretty, pretty, pretty tricky in the feelings department. Right. Yeah, it can. And I mean, this is, interesting to me just kind of acknowledging the places that are easy and the places that are hard and how that'll show up differently for other people um and giving yourself a little bit of grace and having some humor around it and jessica's holding the microwave with microphone in a way. <laughs> I, d I think this one is so funny because it gives as an example literally like the first mistake that you guys talked about on this podcast of like related to sexting and like you know like when you're flirty texting mm. with a person you're dating like send a flirty text to your primary partner too or whatever and like i think it is great advice and also as 
described in episode one, like it's possible to do that in a way that is not right. respectful of people's boundaries right. you know, or consent. So I just thought that was interesting that it came up. It is interesting. And it goes back to this idea of there like not being really hard and fast right and wrong ways. There's just like ways of being communicative as much as you can. Okay, last piece of advice for the listeners submitted. Um, is it my turn or your turn? Yeah, go for it. Okay. Uh, make sure to be clear on both your physical and emotional boundaries and continue to check in as things progress. One conversation is not enough. Uh, yes, this is very good advice. Um, what do you think? I mean, I have been accused of of veering in the other direction of like non <laughs> so, so somewhere between one right. conversation about like whether we're not perfectly calibrated around constant those. conversations about it. Uh, yeah, gonna find that sweet spot in between. It's true, and and we're gonna get into. Oh, I think like uh, one of our agreements that kind of speaks to this. What we were saying earlier in the episode about like things are always changing, and you need to be having conversations frequently enough that you can be keeping pace with that. Um, I mean, I would say that that's true of any relationship. Any relationship is always changing, not just yeah. non-monogamous ones. And having space and dedicated time to have conversations about those changes is like, I mean, I'm a, I'm a relationship therapist, so of course I think that that's really important. But I think right. it's really important. Don't you ever get tired of it? I, I literally <laughs> never get tired of it. What's wrong with me? She wants to be talking about relationships all, all the, time. the time. Watch out if you see her on the apps. <laughs> I know, right? You should know what's coming Oof. to you. Um, no, yeah. And th I think this is, uh, you know, our main agreement that we'd kind of like picked out as, as the one that had been most helpful to us was like setting aside specific time to talk about what was going on in our relationships. I think like probably the most conflict that we've had around non-monogamy has been when we didn't sync up on things for too long um, and, you know, those things came out uh, at the wrong time or in really hard ways when we weren't like resourced to have the conversations about them. Like, I don't, I think it's, it's not really fair to yourself or your partner to assume that you're always going to be well positioned to like have an emotionally yeah. intense conversation. Yeah, and if you're a non-monogamous couple, there are going to be a lot of emotionally intense conversations. So don't just figure we'll talk about this. Uh, you know, whenever it comes up, like make times for it explicit, to explicitly come up. Like the mistake that I make over and over again is uh, it never feeling like the right time. Like, I don't really want to talk about that hard thing, so I'm not going to bring it up. Right. Mm -hmm. And like making that choice once fine, but you can then make it over and over again. And then you've like, you know, left off talking about something for way too long that needed to be discussed. So what works really well for me and I think for us has been having those times be kind of fixed and mm -hmm. like having like special like quote unquote like business meetings where we're talking about like the business of our family and our relationship and like you know not just like leaving that to our like our leisure time that we have together. Mm -hmm. Yeah and we call them like uh, we've called them love and money talks because those are often like the hardest topics yeah. for us and so having time set aside I think at first we were like we'll do it once a week. Mm -hmm. And I feel like now we're like, eh, we're probably going to do it two to three times mm -hmm. a week, you know, for yeah, yeah, a, mm. a half hour to an hour. Yeah. And I guess the, like that was it was helpful to have that at a really specific times yeah. of the week and have it scheduled in the past. And I think now we've gotten a little bit better at uh, just like kind of getting consent for those kinds of conversations yeah. when it's like starting to come up. Like, do can't do we have time and like emotional energy to talk about this thing right now right. and make sure that, you know. Are we pulling out the calendars? Yeah. Are we right. looking up the bank accounts? Right. In some ways, <laughs> this is an advantage of your ma massive, like, Bible-sized hard paper calendar. paper calendar is that it's not just on your phone. I know when that thing opens it's up. It's like the it's physical like... manifestation of dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's all going to happen. <laughs> I know. Yeah. All right. So I really appreciated the folks who offered these up. Yeah, I, thank you. I really learned a lot from them and it gave me a lot to reflect on and think about. And I could tell, I mean, it was like thoughtful, hard-earned 
advice agreements mm -hmm. and mistakes. And so I really appreciated folks who made themselves vulnerable and took the time out to do it. Yeah. As, we, as we've been talking about, it doesn't always feel like you want to. So mm -hmm. I know that you did emotional labor there, and yeah. I really appreciate it. Yeah, you're really cool. You're you like are the really coolest cool. people. Literally the coolest people. Way cooler than the people who didn't answer. I also respect <laughs> <Just> the boundaries <laughs> that people had around not responding, stated or unstated. You know, sometimes it's not the right time for that kind yeah. of thing. No, that's totally true. Uh, I'm just kidding. So I love you too. <laughs> we love you all. Um, so you and I, we thought like we might close out with a little bit of advice. It's interesting. You went off script at the top of the episode and you said, what advice would you give to yourself? Right. And I really like that. And I feel like these pieces of advice are actually more outward focused. Like what advice would mm -hmm. we give to listeners um, based on two years? Mm -hmm. And yeah. Are we ready to hear that? Yeah. You go first. I'll go first. Okay. I think the piece of advice you probably hear the most, and I heard myself say the most over the course of this first season, was it's okay for things to be difficult. Mm. Right? Uh, in fact, they have to be at moments. And a lot about how we do non-monogamy is utopian and aspirational and, like, experimental. And it's beautiful for that. And you're doing something that is culturally taboo. You're doing something that lacks positive modeling. It opens you up for judgment and insecurity in some of the most intimate parts of your life. Um, so it is going to be challenging. Part of the reason why it's rewarding is because it's challenging. You are not doing it wrong if it's challenging. Mm -hmm. And I think it can be easy to fixate on the parts that are hard for you and want to fix them. Right? Be like... All right, this is the hard stuff. We have like a negativity bias in the way that our brains work, which means we focus and give a lot mm. of attention to the things that are difficult or negative. And we're like, how do we fix this? This feels like a threat, right? Yeah. Uh, the advice I would give to people, in addition to like expect it to be hard and know that that's okay, is to remember to notice the things that are easy too and that are joyful and that you're good at. Um, you know, for me, we talked about like, you going on little trips with people. That was something that was hard for me. And I just was like, I have to fix that this is hard for mm, me. Like, this mm -hmm. is a way that I'm failing. Or this is like, you know, it's too difficult that it's hard for me. And it made me, like, kind of blind to the other things that were easy. Like, um, you know, you having, like, regular dates with people. I, I know uh -huh. for other people, like, the idea that someone would have, like, a regular weekly or even more than that date is, like, really difficult. Um, and for me, I was like, no, that makes sense. That's cool. I get it. Mm -hmm. Go for it. Right. Um, or, you know, uh, you meeting new people and establishing new relationships can be hard for me. And I've given that a lot of like attention and wanted to fix it. But then that kept me from seeing how supportive of existing relationships I can be. And that that actually like the more mm -hmm. established a relationship becomes. Yeah the more supportive I am. Yeah, you are really good at that. Um, for me, like, finding folks who are a good fit for dating is, like, a slow process, and it can be rare, but I'm really good at building community and collaborating with people that I meet through non-monogamy. Mm -hmm. You know, so just, like, being thoughtful of those pieces. It's okay for it to be hard, and there will be parts of this that you're just naturally good at, and mm -hmm. be sure to notice those, too. Uh-huh, not just the hard parts. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess that's probably like true with with everything and with any kind of relationship or like how you are in any kind of relationship that the things that are a struggle are, um, you know, the things that get get more of your attention. Um, but when you're doing something that's like you said, that's off script or, uh, you know, there's a lot of sort of free floating criticism out there that you can have access to. It's easier maybe to fixate on the things that like you're really uh, struggling with and being like, maybe this isn't for me, or maybe I'm doing this wrong, or, you know, maybe there's something wrong with me, but. That negativity bias, bias really, like, kicks into high gear, I think. Yeah. What about you? What's your advice for folks? Yeah. Um, so I think that, you know, kind of by nature, non-monogamy is a lot of it, open your, opening your relationship, a lot of it feels like it's about other people, right? Like you're, 
stepping outside of what you're used to, you're meeting a bunch of new people, you know, you're having new kinds of relationships with, with new people. And so a lot of that is like sort of externally oriented, but for me, and I think for a lot of people, like really it's an exercise in finding out more about yourself, um, and who you are. Um, so, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know if this is true for everybody or necessarily if it's true for me, but like in some ways on the kind of like compulsory monogamy escalator, a little bit of what you're doing is like kind of outsourcing your sense of self, um, and your sense of self acceptance to your relationship with another person, right? Like I know that Sarah loves me and accepts me. Um, and so that's all like, that's like a shortcut for the work that I might need to do to like love and accept myself because like she's there. Uh, you know, affirming that for me every day. Um, and you're sort of like by nature, like endangering that or like stepping beyond that in being non-monogamous, right? Like you're like maybe, you know, stepping out of that really like safe space. Um, and the downside is that it's scary, but the upside is that it's like an opportunity to be learning more about yourself and kind of re-challenging yourself around, uh, knowing who you are and like your, your confidence and your security and stuff like that. Um, but in doing that, uh, you know, you're opening yourself back up to, you know, uh, you're putting yourself out there in a way that like might damage your your ego, your self-confidence, you know, moving you into these less safe spaces. Um, and, uh, you know, I guess for me also just like the, the, the question of like accepting that it's okay that you want to do that. Um, and you know, kind of the flip side of what you're saying, like, uh, about the parts that are hard, your my enthusiasm for it also has been a thing that like, I didn't always feel like, okay about. Mm -hmm. Um, so I guess all of that leads to like remembering how much it's about you and learning better ways to sort of like know and accept who you are. Ooh, I like that. So it's really interesting to think about this as the framing as you become non-monogamous or you open up a relationship. It's like we tend to focus on the relationship that's opening up and then the relationships that you have outside of that relationship. But you're saying it's actually the relationship you have with yourself that's going to experience some of the most turmoil, pay attention to that. That's yeah. where a lot of learning happens and that's where a lot of care is needed. Yeah. And maybe that's like kind of the point too. Yeah. Good. Yeah. I think that's a great spot to end season one on. Thank you, Alex. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for asking. Yeah. All right. So heading into next season, which will start up in the fall, we're excited to explore some new topics and dive more deeply into existing themes, and we want your suggestions. Uh, so here are a few ideas we've brainstormed for episodes for season two, and I'll list those off, and then Alex, you have some ideas for folks you know we'd like to interview. Mm -hmm. um, so we want to talk about racism in non-monogamous culture. Um, one of my dream guests for this would be Kevin Patterson of Love Is Not Colorblind, so if you're listening, expect an email from me. Um, breaking up well and transitioning into non-romantic relationships, couples privilege, relationship anarchy, jealousy and trauma. You mean like the intersection of those two things? Yeah, I think I do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think I do. Uh, mixed queer and heterosexual relationships, ethical threesomes, and digital boundaries and dating apps. So... Those are just some ideas we have. We want to hear your ideas about themes you'd like us to do a deeper dive into or new ones that we haven't thought of or explored yet. Yeah, and then uh, in terms of guests, it's, uh, certainly there are some like specific people in mind, but I think in addition to, to folks like Kevin, who are, who are sort of like leaders in this world, um, there's also just like, you know, the, the framing we had at the top of the episode um, was like kind of finding out like who our audience was or who this podcast is for, and that being people in long-term relationships who are either thinking about non-monogamy or exploring it. Um, but there's a lot of people outside of that world uh, who I think it would be really beneficial to hear from because they might be, you know, we might end up in relationship with such people. So, um, for instance, uh, people who have the experience of being solo poly 
um, you know, children of people who were non-monogamous who or polyamorous who might be able to tell us more about like what it's like from the kid's perspective um, in a family like that, um, or even like marriages that uh, ended because of non-monogamy and how that could be a good thing or a bad thing or a, just a thing that is. Um, so those are some of the ideas. Uh, we'd love to hear your ideas of guests or other topics that we might uh, dig into in season two. Okay, thank you so much for listening to Mistakes Were Made. Uh, you can find us and um, give us your advice or um, ideas for new show topics and guests for season two. Uh, we're at MistakesCast, M-I-S-T-A-K-E-S-C-A-S-T, on Instagram and on Gmail. And if you like the podcast, please help us spread the word by liking it and subscribing to it and telling your friends about it. Hey, thanks for listening to our first season, everyone. You've given us great feedback and things to think about so far. And one of the most wonderful things about doing this podcast has been the conversations that I've had with some of its listeners. So I really appreciate it. It's been a wonderful experience, and I can't wait to do more of it with y'all. Me too. And thank you, Sarah, for being a part of it with me. Thanks, Alex. Hey. Hey.